Oh, Mr. Big Shot, Mr. Wade, huh? Mr. Percival shutting down the Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays because he's got a pretty girl, huh? He's got a pretty girl that he can roll around with in his rich-ass apartment now, so now he's going to be the guy that shuts it down. He's going to tell people how to live. Already corrupted by his winnings at the Oasis. God damn it! But seriously, this is a this is a movie I, you know, I've been wanting to watch this movie for a long time, and I finally did. And I am I really enjoy this movie. Now, I didn't read the book at all, and um, I think that serves me better. At least that's what I'm told. I am told that I am better served to watch this movie without having read the book. Um, I have the book. And I just haven't read the book. Now that I uh, I have uh, I've devoted some time to reading once again, I'll have to put it back on the list to read. I do know that some people who read the book weren't happy. I, I feel like some people like this movie a lot, and some people really hate it a lot. Um, you know, I've seen the Steven Spielberg memes about oh uh, he ruined everything, Wah. and then some people are like no, it's cool. I understand the uh, creative choices and the differences that were made. I understand why. These changes were done, but lucky for you guys, I don't know the changes at all. So I am just going to rattle off some of the things about this movie that I thought was interesting. First of all, you know, there's there's this mixed bag with nostalgia, and I know nostalgia is really big right now. I mean, fuck, just look at the album cover or the podcast cover art for this particular <laughs> for this particular podcast, right? I mean, it looks like something out of Grand Theft Auto and Miami Vice, and the music in this podcast has a little bit of an 80s, early 80s bend to it. And, uh, you know, I just, that was totally accidental. I mean, honestly, I was listening to some, some intro music, and I just happened to think it was really cool. I thought it added a an element to this podcast that made you understood its playful nature and uh, how we were going to poke fun at things and, you know, just have a good time. But I digress. My point is nostalgia is in. Stranger Things, reboots, uh, sequels of of franchises thought long lost, prequels of of franchises thought long lost, and and everything is being uh, uh, retreaded, so to speak. Now, that said, I like that this isn't a reboot. It's not a sequel. It's not a prequel. It's its own thing. And it does rely on a nostalgia factor. But one of the things I found while watching this movie, because, you know, a lot of people told me, oh, Ready Player One, it's crazy. There's all these cool references of all this old shit. And yes, that is cool. And I think that that adds a stylistic bend to the program or the movie in this case, program, because I'm thinking Stranger Things, but in the movie in this case. But I don't think the movie, I think you could have still made a successful movie with this story and not have relied on nostalgia. I just think that that was probably a choice to, but by the author, the author who wrote this, right? Uh, Ernest Klein, I believe he probably just wrote it because this is the stuff he was passionate about. And it makes sense. It makes sense that we're seeing nostalgia the way we are for a couple of reasons. Number one, money. Money is always the first reason for anything in Hollywood, right? So you can't lose sight of that. It's always going to be about the money. But two, you're seeing these people that are writing these stories coming to an age where 
it's fun to think of the past. Every generation does it. The next generation will do it. The generation after that will do it. Uh, my father's generation did it, and the generation before that did it as well. And I think that nostalgia is just always a thing uh, for some people. Now, not for all people. Some people don't want to think about when they were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Um, they didn't have a, a great childhood, and nostalgia to them is kind of bullshit. They want to move forward with their lives. They, didn't, they hated that time of their life, those awkward years. But some people think back of the fondness. Um, I tend to think back of those times fondly. There were struggles, but I, I tend to rem- remember them fondly. I remember the discovery of these worlds and this fun stuff. And I really dug it, man. I liked, I liked this movie conceptually. I liked the idea of them going into the metaverse, as uh, Neil Stevenson calls it in Snow Crash, or the Matrix, as it's known in some others. And I like this. Um, I like the idea of them having to find these three keys and these things are all lined up and they go through these challenges and they have to answer these, answer these riddles. Um, there is some combat in the, in the verse or in the oasis, I guess I should be respectful of the intellectual property here. Um, but in the, in the oasis as it were. And uh, I think that that is pretty cool. Now there's a couple of questions I have, but, but the basic premise is, it's uh, 2045, I guess. Things aren't going well. Our main character lives in the stacks, which is essentially like a, a futuristic version of a trailer park, or more, more like an urban trailer park. I think most people think rural when they think trailer park. They also have a lot of negative connotations towards trailer parks. But um, the point is, this is a, a not a wealthy uh, place, which was the first head scratcher to me in this movie, which is it's not, they're not wealthy yet. They're all connected. And, and that's this fascinating, this fascinating infiltration of technology that you would assume is incredibly expensive and un, unattainable for certain classes of people. Like you would imagine the people in the stacks don't have a lot of money, but that's one of the things I liked about this movie was that I had a good friend of mine named Levin and he was in the Peace Corps for a while, and he went to Western Africa, and he was in this uh, place called Mauritania. And he said, you know, here's a place where people are trying to figure out water and, and how to properly remove waste and things of this nature, and they live in, in, in very modest accommodations. Uh, I mean, they're essentially, they're essentially living in, in, I mean, they don't have televisions, they don't have any of this stuff. And he was saying, but the weirdest thing was that everyone had a cell phone. And, you know, when he told me that, I never forgot. He talked about how, how this guy would charge this cell phone. They would, they would walk miles to this guy who had a car with all these batteries hooked up to it and all these, uh, I, guess, I guess he said, they, he described it as all these different extensions and you would plug in and everyone would charge their phones and trade or pay him or whatever, whatever money or, or offer they had. And I just thought that that was so fascinating that they could be on these cell phones yet be in conditions where you'd think a cell phone would be one of the last things they would have. And because of that story, I always, I always, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that story always stuck with me and I was forced to think of it when I was watching our main character, Wade, live his life in the stacks because he still could get online. He could still escape from this world into this other world. And you know, this is the, you know, the reality sucks, I believe is, is how the movie starts, but reality is real 
is, is how the movie ends. But the reality sucks thing I think is interesting. So you have these people that live in these squalor conditions, but they are able to go online and, and transcend their position by way of impacting the oasis. They can accumulate things. We see, uh, we see characters like, I believe his name is Irock. He's like, I have 10 years in this character, and he loses this character. There's moments in the beginning of the film where we see the Japanese man is going to jump off of, uh, I guess, jump to his death. He's going to commit suicide because he loses his character. And this stuff is fascinating because, you know, you have the, you have the Japanese businessman who's going to jump, who you would imagine doesn't live in the stacks based on where we see him. And then you have these people in the stacks. So it's almost like everyone is sort of created equally in the Oasis in a sense. And the biggest separator of you in the Oasis is the time you put in to the, into it, I guess you could say for, for lack of better terms. It's the only way I can equate it to something nowadays is to think about a game like World of Warcraft, which is a game where you, once upon a time, I, I don't know. I haven't really played it a lot. I've only ever got to like level 17, I think it was. I didn't play it a ton, but I'm told. Now, I did play Star Wars, Knights of the, uh, not Knights of the Republic, played that too. I played the online Star Wars RPG to like level 47 or something. My point is, it takes time. Now, I also worked with a guy once who wanted to just, who I guess on eBay, I guess is how we did this a long time ago, back in like the mid-2000s, I think he purchased a WoW character or an EVE character or whatever the hell it was. Not EVE, maybe it was EverQuest. I don't know. He purchased a character for money. So he paid, he bid several hundred dollars to get a character that had all this shit and all of these levels. And I thought about that. And when I was younger, I thought, when I was you know in my mid-20s to late-20s, I thought, man, that's really stupid. You're, you're sort of denying yourself the enjoyment of the game just to just to achieve something. It's it, it ties back into this movie, which is they're trying to be adventure, but it's not about beating adventure. It's about playing the game. And I thought to myself, man, why would he do that? Why would he deny himself that? But then I thought it's probably because, and, and I thought this as I got older, because time is a premium and you only have so much time. And back in the day, if you wanted to grind out your time in WoW, which, which I imagine is comparable to Oasis, you would have to put this time in on this character, and get levels and get items and build up a community around you and, and go on raids and do things of this nature. And he just wanted to insert himself into that. He didn't want to go through the work to get there. Now, this same guy, <laughs> this same guy is somebody who inherited a shitload of money from his dead relatives. So I guess they found like uranium on his property somewhere out West. So I guess he was used to getting what he wanted by giving tons of money for it, which is kind of hilarious. And I don't mean to dis- to besmirch the man for losing loved ones to get this inheritance, but I just think it's an interesting mindset to give him the benefit of the doubt. It was probably because he had a couple of kids. He was trying to run a business. He was a busy guy and he didn't want to, he didn't have the time to put in to enjoy the game the way he wanted to enjoy the game which I understand because sometimes games are out of reach. They require too much time. I'm, I'm sort of like that. I play Overwatch. I log in, I play a game, I'm done. It's, it's quick. I get in there now. I got a lot of time in and I've unlocked a lot of shit, but it's not, I'm not progressing through a story uh, and, and that's easy. It's a quick pick it up, go. It's kind of like sports games. You pick it up, you go, you're done. It's hard to sink hours and hours and hours into a game like Witcher 
which I own and I have barely played. And it's because of time. But I wouldn't want to deny myself the experience of paying to get to the end, I guess. Which is funny how it relates to this movie a little bit with that. You have the idea of not just playing to win the game. You know, the guy wins at the end, the, the, the IOI agent. And he just, is that what it is? IOI? iOS? I don't fucking remember. And he just falls through. And it's because it's not about winning. And that's what I thought was really cool about this. But one of the things I want to, I don't want to go past is this idea of this level playing field in this world. I think that makes sense in the way they set up the story. But I also kind of feel like it doesn't make a ton of sense either. Because one of the things you're seeing with online games now is sort of they, they pay to play or as it's known on the internet among the subculture of the gamer is play to pay, pay to win, which is, oh, you can play these games piecemeal, but you can buy this extra shit and get extra things or you can buy this and get that that you'd normally have to grind for. And I, and I imagine that that would make its way into the Oasis. So that's one of the things I found confusing about this was that this company couldn't get an edge out on these people. I just found that a little, I found that a little unbelievable. Like, I think it would be hard if you had a rich corporation with this great rig. They always talk about um, Sorrento's rig, that he would have such a massive advantage and his people would have such a massive advantage. Because I started to think about, you know, he uses the holy hand grenade at the end of the movie. That was a great reference, by the way. Um, By the way, my favorite reference in the movie is definitely the charm of making from Excalibur that uh, Morgana says. And that's what she uses to, she uses that magic quite a bit in that film, uh, John Borman's Excalibur. I'm a huge fan of that movie. That was the movie. It was like that in Conan before Lord of the Rings ever came around. And then finally Lord of the Rings came around. But in the fantasy medieval genre, there was a lot of dog shit, a lot of goofy stuff coming out of the 80s and the early 90s. And uh, Excalibur was a standout for me as a good film. But yes, The Charm of Making, something like this. I remembered it from because I saw the movie so many fucking times. And, you know, she says it three times in the movie when she wants the charm of making to go off. And she does things like she can mask people's appearance and things like this. It's really cool. Um, I like that it was brought up in this. And I just thought that that was a really cool, subtle reference that you might not get. Although I think they... Do they give it away? I don't know if they give it away in the movie. I can't remember. I just I just stopped watching the movie. Um, but back to the Holy Hand Grenade. You know, we see him at one point. He's in the game, and he's he, he, he acquires these coins when he wins the first race by going backwards. Really cool, by the way. I thought that was slick. Um, also, it looked so cool when he was driving backwards underneath the racetrack and you had King Kong like slamming down on the street and he's looking up at the street. That was just so awesome. The visuals in this film are great. Um, there are times where the, you know, I, again, the big giant epic battle, I'm kind of burnt out from the big giant epic battle. Cause it's like, there's just so many big giant epic battles, which at the end of this, when they assault the place, I was like, oh, okay, like I'm, I'm kind of over it already. It was cool seeing some of the references, some, seeing some of the video game and film characters and things of this nature. But I, I mean, yes, it's cool, but it didn't do anything crazy for me. But it looked awesome. To me, the coolest thing was like seeing the stacks right in the beginning, this, the way they live, the way they climb around and all the shit. But back to the Holy Hand Grenade. 
So the Holy Hand Grenade, he acquires with these coins that he gets in the game. And I almost feel like, why wouldn't the IOI troops have access to these coins that they could just get? Like, how 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 is IOI incapable of having financed pro gamers that could have been working for them and getting this awesome equipment as well? Because they, they, they're kind of cannon fodder. So that's something I thought about, like, Gaming is a is a big business now, and there are like sponsored teams. You know, I followed StarCraft II for quite a while, and they literally buy giant houses, these gaming companies, and they put these people up in these houses to live there and to play StarCraft as their job. It's insane. And I thought, wouldn't IOI have a company like that? And, I, and you know, we see it with all the brainchilds working below, trying to figure things out. So I see them all doing their thing in the real world, and I wonder... Why wouldn't they put those people like in the oasis? Why wouldn't they why wouldn't they farm that talent so they could go after the prize with more efficiency? It's it's uh, obviously I think it's a little it's a little unbelievable that the random kid Wade would do it. Uh, but I do like it. I I liked I I mean I like the idea of of all of it. I just had some questions like that like does this make sense? Why wouldn't it happen this way? I, I was happy when they decided to go after them in the in the quote real world. I thought that made sense. Um, that is uh, that is a, a classic technique. There are tales of uh, Eve Online where people would hack other people in real life and send like pizza deliveries to their houses. You've heard of swatting, which is literally having a SWAT team go to somebody's house, which is really fucked up. Um, it used to be a little more innocuous or innocent than that, which is they'd have pizzas show up, ringing the doorbell in the middle of a big space battle to fuck up the guy, which is crazy. So, you know, things like this, I, I, I'm glad that we saw that. It would make sense that IOI or whatever the hell it's called. Is it IOI? God damn it. It's got to be IOI, right? I should probably know this. Um, let me see. I wrote down like three notes. IOI, yeah. So IOI. I would imagine IOI would try to do their best to go after him. I also found it interesting that this was, it seemed like a decentralized thing, Oasis, which I really dug because the internet is not really decentralized unless you know how to use it correctly. Um, Obviously, the dark web is a little more decentralized. Obviously, you can mask your VPN, things of this nature, nerd talk. But I found it interesting that they that they had to get a visual on him and search with him and look for him with drones. They never really got into how he was able to keep himself hidden. Like there's no IP ping. They can't go in there and figure out where he is, this big company, which makes me just think that there's a lot left unexplained that maybe the book gets into as far as Oasis is concerned and Halliday's creation of it. What kind of fail saves? Did he make it decentralized so these users could go in and be totally anonymous in their lives? I just thought that that was kind of a cool thing. The other, the other thing I want to talk about was the transferable skills. So I thought this was neat. So if you sit down to play a racing game today, you are using, unless you have the pedal and the steering wheel and the shifter and all that shit, unless you got the Uber driver nerd pack, you're probably doing what most people do, which is you're holding a control with thumbsticks and triggers and buttons. Now, that is no that is not transferable to if you sit inside a NASCAR and drive it around, right? 
maybe it becomes a little more transferable when you add the steering wheel, you add the shifter, you add the pedals. Now, I remember once upon a time, and I don't know who I went with. I'm trying to remember who I went with. But we went to this place called Dave and Buster's in Providence, Rhode Island. It's at the Providence Place Mall. We went for a birthday party years ago and there was an amateur NASCAR driver with us and he played the racing game and he was fucking good at it. And I thought to myself, that is so crazy that his skill is transferable from driving a fucking NASCAR to playing the video game. Now, maybe he'd played the video game numerous times. I don't know. It's possible. But I just thought that, that was interesting. And it made me think of you being in the, you being in the Oasis. Like, jumping around and doing flip kicks. Like I see how they suspend them. I imagine that they probably spend more time with that in the novel because they're doing, they're literally doing martial arts move. Like it becomes a different game when you make it about haptic response and being in a suit and your avatar moving the way you move versus thumbs. I can play the shit out of Street Fighter with a tournament edition Sanwa fucking cabinet box, Right. I can play some. I can play some Ryu with that thing. I'm not quite as good if I go down to the normal control. But if you put me in a haptic suit and expected me to do Ryu fucking jump kicks, I'm gonna suck. So it made me think: Is are these skills transferable? Like if you're if you go into Street Fighter in the Oasis and you and you're like I'm gonna be Ryu and you're doing uppercuts and punches and kicking like we see, how does that look outside of Oasis? We get little views hearing the, here and there with the haptic response and the feedback and things of this nature, but how transferable is it? Something like aiming, maybe there's a program, maybe there's an auto-aim or a quote auto, the, the aim bots, as you know, aim bots are, are like PC hacks for first-person shooters. Maybe you have aim bots set up, so when you bring up the rifle, maybe 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 your avatar inside the Oasis course corrects for your shitty human movement, right? You can't, it's going to be hard to do that. And, you know, the dancing scene when they go to the, to the disco, which is awesome. I love this, the BG stuff. Are they really dancing because they're wearing a suit? Do they know how to do the dance moves? Did they rehearse that whole dance number to be able to pull it off? I don't know. Those are some of the questions that I thought were really interesting about that. Do, are your skills transferable in the Oasis? If you can, if, are you dry? When he's sitting in that car, what's that like? It's probably just, it's probably more like a virtual reality version of NASCAR. So I'd imagine if you took that NASCAR, an amateur NASCAR guy that I went to Dave and Buster's with all those years ago, and you put him in the haptic suit, it, he would probably, his skill would probably transfer. I would guess if you had a martial artist, his skills would transfer. In fact, I think, didn't, didn't we see one of the characters doing martial arts, one of the Asian characters, shocker, shocker there, he knew, he knew karate. Um, wasn't he doing it too? I don't remember. But I always thought about that because when you play a sports game, when you play a shooter today in 2018, you're using your hands on these controls in a way that you've been using them for three iterations of this particular type of console controller. We've learned how to, control that shit with our hands. We have multiple years of experience. But the reality is I can be 385 pounds or I can be 95 pounds. Chances are outside of some sort of hand or wrist or forearm injury, I can perform those movements 
as easily as, I guess what I'm trying to say is a fit person can do those moves as easily as an unfit person, right? So how does that change when you put the suit on and you're on an omnidirectional um, treadmill and you're doing this? How does that work? Does it transfer over? I don't know. I think that's really interesting to think about. I mean, if you're running on an omnidirectional treadmill, are you going to get gassed out? What if you're in poor shape? Oddly enough, there were no giant 300-pound people. They were all fit people. And maybe that says something. Maybe maybe years and years of omnidirectional VR and we'll have a thinner populace. Maybe. Maybe that's one of the good things that will come from the Oculus Rift. I don't know. So I don't know. I thought about that. I thought about transferable skills because you're, you're going from a giant skill set in martial arts to a very smaller skill set in using your hands, just your hands and your fingers on a small control that requires no physicality whatsoever. It does require some dexterity and reaction time, and it certainly requires muscle memory and practice over time. That's why not all gamers are created equally. That's why there are professional gamers who will fucking kill you every time because they practice at it. But I wonder... I wonder if there are like old school gamers in the real Ready Player One world where they're like, nah, I'm just going to use the controller, right? Ah, I don't want to get into all that. I'm just going to use the controller because I almost feel like that's what I want to do. When when you hand me the VR headset, I'm going to be like, nah, I'm better at FIFA with my control hands. I'm, it's, I'm, better, I'm better at a shooter with my control or my keyboard was the setup, right? I'm just better that way. I don't want to or, – or, or shit, man, a shooter. You watch them play those boxing games in arcades. They put those big dumb gloves on and they're standing there. And I see people like, they got three drinks in them and they're throwing fucking, you know, a guy's throwing jab, jab, cross. And I look at him, he's fucking sweating bullets, which is a good thing, right? <laughs> but I wonder, is that, how does that transfer if you go into Oasis and you're trying to rescue humanity? I mean, that humanity almost, as it were, tips in the balance. This... This class struggle exists in Ready Player One. But, you know, I, I didn't take a note, too much note of the story because the story isn't anything new, right? It's, it's you know, the, 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 the hero rises up through the ranks to, to be a rebel and to free his people and, uh, and stuff like that. I mean, this isn't, this isn't groundbreaking stuff. So I really wanted to focus on the tech because I had a lot of questions about it. That's not to say the story isn't serviceable. It's fine. It, you know, I liked it for what it was. It was it was cool. It was interesting. It does ask. It does force me to ask a lot of questions, though. And maybe you know, as I'm talking to you, here I am thinking maybe it's it's possible that maybe Oasis was built by Halliday with these fail safes, where you couldn't just use real money to get in-game currency. That's how he leveled the playing field for skill. I guess that's possible. That would make sense as to why the corporation just didn't have all the best shit. One of the other things I wanted to talk about was just the characters in general. I liked them. I thought they had good, good chemistry. Um, I liked the stuff between Artemis and, and uh, Z, I guess he's known as. I thought that worked out fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's the boy meets girl and doesn't want to make the same mistakes, but of all the characters in this movie, I really found Halliday interesting. Like he's the character I want to know more about. I didn't care about the other characters as much. I, I cared about, I was more interested in, in Halliday. I liked the idea of this guy creating this world that he had control over because of his inability to exist comfortably in the real world. 
I really can understand that, man. You know, when I was a young kid, when I was 12 and 13, I, I disappeared into fantasy quite a bit because I didn't know how to exert myself upon reality. Um, I was uncomfortable until I started finding a good friend group. But, you know, 11, 12, 13, and when I first started getting into video games or Dungeons and Dragons or just reading books, it was just about existing in that space that I had more control over versus the real world. And that is interesting to me. Now, Halliday's story is, knock on wood, more tragic than mine, clearly, because he was a guy who spent his whole life there and, and was very lonely at the end. That is a cool story, and I wonder how much the novel gets into that. If you guys tell me the novel gets into that more, then I'm definitely interested in the novel because Halliday was a character that interested me quite a bit. I also like the actor that played him. Again, don't have notes in front of me. I know he's the guy from Bridge of Spies. I'm pretty sure he won an Academy Award for that film as Best Supporting Actor. I liked him, man. He was a lovable guy. I, I, that was There was something nice about him that I enjoyed. I love the clues. I love how they were all embedded within this stuff. I mean, it again, could 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 all these people playing could could other people have solved these clues? Yeah, probably. But hey, that's not the point of the story. This is a uh, this is a uh, <laughs> a, a, a tale about a about a boy. And uh, I like that it's uh, you know, I guess it, Artemis at one point says a real gunter would risk everything to save Oasis from IOI. And I like that. I like that she pushes him to overcome his reservations about laying it on the line also his uncle is the fucking father from the witch that dude's voice man is so distinct i just imagine him yelling crazy weird old english style of speak in that film the witch but uh yeah he's got a crappy home life and and it kind of leads him to exert himself on something he can and by extension he then exerting himself on the real world this this Parzival, 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 whatever the fuck his name is, Wade, I call him. The other thing that I thought was kind of cool was you, quote, you only know what I want you to know. You only see what I want you to see, end quote. That's what Artemis says to uh, our boy Wade. And that's something I want to wrap with because that is really interesting to me. I like that a lot because... That is social media to a T, right? If you peruse Facebook, and I'm guilty of this, if you peruse Facebook, first of all, it, so many posts are very self-serving, right? Even people that post about other people are, are kind of putting attention on themselves by making this wonderful post about a thing. I do it too. I've done it before. I'm guilty of it. Everybody's kind of guilty of it. But I think it goes deeper than that. And I think this line in this particular film is apropos to uh, social media now, which is Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, pick your social media network. You're always seeing a filtered life of somebody. And I feel like a lot of times it causes people resentment. People say things like everyone else is getting married or, or everyone's bought a house or everyone's family's beautiful or wow, all these vacations are wonderful or oh, look at this slow motion thing of me uh, doing something amazing, right? Swan diving, or look at this, uh, look at this crazy image of uh, my kid winning a crazy award. And look, I'm not, I'm not besmirching people that do it. I definitely do it too. But I think it's fascinating that that is something that is inlaid in us now, which is this desire to filter ourselves to only ever show people the best parts of what we have going on. 
And I wonder if there isn't already a movement of people doing like unfiltered stuff. Like, here's me. Here's my house. It's a fucking mess. I haven't cut the grass in weeks. I got a giant pimple on my face. And uh, this is my reality, right? <laughs> I wonder how that would go over with people. But it's always, you know, it's always what Artemis says. It's always, and I'll say the quote again, you only know what I want you to know. You only see what I want you to see. I just think that's such a good discussion topic because that's what it is. And when you disappear into World of Warcraft, you inhabit your character for those moments. When you disappear into the world of Witcher, you are that character in that moment. That's intense, man. And, and, and she's saying it almost like a warning. Now, I understand that she's saying it because she's got this like dumb birthmark that we're supposed to think makes her ugly, which is just so outrageous, right? None of these people are heifers, man. None of these people are slobs with fucking Dorito dust all over their hands and crumbs all over their giant guts. None of that shit, right? It's really representing the gamer world. Uh, but, I, but that particular thing I thought was interesting. The idea of us putting our best face forward on social media. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I wonder about that. I also wonder about, I sometimes wonder about, imagine if all of the pictures of me in all of these videos as me as a little kid were out on Facebook. How would I feel about that as a grown-up? That's weird to think about, right? That's a whole other topic, though. So I sometimes wonder, like a lot of people post pictures of their kids doing things and all these videos. I sometimes wonder when that person's like 14 or 15 or 16, are they going to be like, oh, fuck, get these videos off social media, which will probably be impossible at some point. But I always wonder about that. Like, how would I feel? I mean, it'd be cool to have more pictures of myself when I was younger. I think that would be kind of neat and funny. So part of me likes it, but part of me wonders, how would I feel? How would I have felt at like 13, 14, 15, those awkward ages if those uh, if there was that shit all over the internet? But I don't know, because I guess those Kids those ages are posting shit all over the internet anyway, so I guess it doesn't really matter. Just something to think about. The final thing I want to say is this. The idea of virtual labor is so wacky. That is so wild. And you know, there is an article about this out there that I wanted to share with you guys because when Artemis gets caught, they make her do virtual labor in what's called a loyalty pod or a loyalty camp or whatever. But there is an article on Forbes that I want to share with you guys because this is fucking crazy and it reminded me of this. Um, On Forbes, this was written on June 2nd, 2011 by Paul Tassi. So Paul Tassi writes an article called Chinese Prisoners Forced to Farm World of Warcraft Gold, June 2nd, 2011. Holy shit. I will link to this actually in the show notes. I know I don't normally do that, but I I will link to this one. If I remember, if not, then you know how to find it. But because of Memorial Day weekend, quote, Paul says, because of Memorial Day weekend, I kind of let the story slip through the cracks, but it's too ridiculous not to rig them now, even if it's a few days late. Manual labor is as old as prisons themselves, but as it turns out, it might not be the most profitable use for locked up inmates. It's been discovered that in the unknown number of Chinese prisoners across the country, inmates have been forced not only to do physical labor, but electronic work as well, acting as World of Warcraft gold farmers by night. Prison bosses made more money forcing inmates to play games than they do forcing people to do manual labor, Lou told The Guardian. There were 300 prisoners forced to play games. We worked 12-hour shifts in the camp. I heard them say they could earn five to 6,000 RMB, which is about 770, 935 US dollars a day. 
We didn't see any of that money. The computers were never turned off. It is estimated that 80% of all gold farmers are in China, and with the largest internet population in the world, there are thought to be 100,000 full-time gold farmers in the country. That is fucking insane, dude. Think about how that's going to work with virtual reality. We're going to see something like we saw in Ready Player One. That's what we're going to see. Someone being stuck in a box and put in there and doing this thing. Wow, that's pretty intense. You know, it reminds me of this role-playing game I used to love called Cyberpunk 2020 by Altalsorian Games. And they had something called the Brain Dance, which they would do with prisoners, which is they, I think you'd see some of this in film Demolition Man, but they would jack these prisoners into these alternate realities that they could control for the prisoner in that time. And I think they used it to rehabilitate them. And, and if they wanted to be really mean, they used it to torture them with these crazy, you know, these crazy visions in their head. But man, I thought that as soon as I saw her locked up, I couldn't help but think of this. Such a crazy idea. Virtual labor, ladies and gentlemen, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to goddamn happen. I got to be honest with you. Part of me thinks I would have pushed that red button at the end of this movie. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. I just want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in to hear me rant and rave a little bit about Ready Player One. I will put the book on my little bookshelf and uh, consider it for future. If you guys have any uh, recommendations on films or if you want to offer some feedback to the show, please email me, dean at libertystreetgeek.net. That's dean at libertystreetgeek.net. And as far as my scale goes for Ready Player One, hated it. Didn't like it, liked it, loved it. I'm going to say I solid liked it. I liked this movie. I found it a lot more entertaining than Justice League. And um, and uh, I'm curious as to what people think of this movie. So when I post it, definitely send your feedback my way. All right, so I guess I'm going to wrap it up. But before I do, here is a little bit of a sneak peek as to what is coming next time we are on the show. And this was an idea delivered to me by listener Brian Campbell. And he said, dude, why don't you uh, do a little lead up to the next episode by giving a bit of a teaser? Um, and I'm going to I'm going to take his idea and run with it. I'm going to modify it a little bit. But what I'm going to do for you folks now is I'm going to play a trailer for the episode we're going to have next. And that trailer is going to be for the film Red Sparrow. So coming up next week on the podcast will be Red Sparrow, and we're going to whet your appetite with a little bit of a trailer. And then since I haven't seen it, I'm going to give you my impressions on what I think the movie's going to be. And at the start of next week's episode, I'm going to see if maybe it lives up to those expectations that the trailer put forth. So let's take a view, or in this case, a listen to the trailer for Red Sparrow. When I was in Moscow, I heard about a program. Young officers trained to seduce and manipulate. To use their bodies. To use everything. Call them sparrows. That's what she is. All right, I'm not going to lie. Jennifer Lawrence as a Russian spy uh, that is trained to manipulate, seduce, and murder people has my attention. I love a good spy flick. I also love it uh, when you make a sexy Russian chick as part of it. I'm curious as to how they're going to handle that in today's world. Today's world is a bit sensitive of such things, so I'm wondering how they're going to pull this off by making her seem like she's empowered and doing all those things. But all that bullshit aside, I am highly intrigued 
by a Russian spy flick. This reminds me of the novel Charm School by Nelson DeMille. Um, I wonder if it was the inspiration for this movie. I don't really know. I will find out, though, before next week's episode. All right, I am done blathering. Thanks again to Brian Campbell for the idea. I think it's a good one. And I will just say, I will see you guys next week. vivid memory of the first time. I was attending my niece's wedding and was at the sink in the men's room when a wet spot on the front of my trousers caught my eye. An unwelcome contribution from my bladder. Fortunately, I was wearing black and with my jacket buttoned, no one would be the wiser anyway, but for me, I knew it was time to see a urologist. Want to laugh during life's most embarrassing moments? LSG can help. Go to libertystreetgeek.net. Podcasters will give you a reason to wet yourself.